Welcome to the Great Futures Podcast, where we explore specific careers and what it takes to be successful in that career by learning from someone who's excelling in that field. Each episode, a teenager or club alum from the Boys and Girls School Great Lowell interviews an accomplished professional for a field they're interested in alongside myself. I'm Executive Director Joe Hungler. Today's co-host is Yvonne Welsh. She is a Youth of the Year finalist for the second straight year. She is a senior at Chelmsford High, where she's 17 years old. She's taken on a number of leadership roles in the club and the community, particularly with Teen Block and Girls, Inc., as well as the club. She's a peer facilitator through Project Learn, helped organize Dance for Peace and Peace in the Park. She's been a CIT and serves on the Mayor's Youth Commission. She started a diversity club at Chelmsford High School and was captain of the school's cheer team. She's currently the secretary of our Keystone Teen Leadership Club. We're so proud of the leadership you've already shown, Yvonne, and are excited to have you as our co-host on the Great Futures Podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I guess the excitement is, is, is the topic of the day. We're, we want to know what, what excites you the most about being a leader. It's, it's work, right? So like, why, why do you do it? What excites me most about being a leader is that it doesn't feel like work, even though it is. Being a leader is me getting to mentor those in the community that are about my age and younger. And being an example for them is letting them know that someone cares and that there's someone going to be there for them and I can be that person. Cool. What's been the most difficult thing about being a leader and how did you uh, kind of address that and overcome it? I wasn't always a very vocal person growing up and it still comes out now sometimes, even though I'm good with public speaking and speaking to my peers, knowing when to talk and the right thing to say and when is the harder part. But what I've learned is that when you're being yourself and giving your honest opinion and your honest thought on what should be happening, you overcome that obstacle and provide the best service you can to your peers. That's great advice. Speaking of advice, what, what advice would you give to a teen who wants to become a leader but doesn't necessarily feel they have permission or isn't sure how to do, to do it? Start small. Um, even if you don't think you're being a leader, you're being a leader to someone. Even if it's one person at one place, you're still making an impact. And once you realize that and spread your work, you're already a leader. That's great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Today's guest is former Congresswoman Nikki Songus. She was a leader long before she ran for Congress. She served as a social worker, started the first all-female law firm in Lowell, Massachusetts, was Dean of External Affairs at Middlesex Community College. Congresswoman Nikki Songus was first elected in 2007 she was the first woman in 25 years to serve in Congress from Massachusetts. Since then, there's been three additional female members of Congress. We've elected our first female U.S. Senator from Massachusetts. And in our district, half of the state legislature is a woman. That's tremendous change for uh, equality. As someone who grew up in an Air Force family, she sought out service on the House Armed Services Committee and became a senior member of that committee as well as the Natural Resources Committee. She sponsored a lot of legislation that supported our servicemen and women, as well as other vulnerable populations. We'll touch on those victories later in the interview. Congresswoman, thanks for taking the time to join us on the Great Futures Podcast today. I'm very happy to be here. Yvonne, I'll let you take it away now. What types of activities and leadership roles did you encounter in high school? Well, the types of activities and leadership roles I encountered are probably very similar to the ones that young people in high school today encounter. I don't think that's changed tremendously. Uh, I was always 
part of different clubs and uh, as I was in them, wanted to run, run for office to help run them. Uh, I sought elective office and ran for class officer. I ran for student council officer. Uh, as I went to school in Tokyo, Japan, there was a great club called the Historical Club, and we took trips all over uh, Japan and and nearby countries as well. Uh, and again, I sought leadership roles in those. It, it was just sort of what I did, frankly. I have a similar relation to leadership when I pursue different roles in the club and at school. Was it different being abroad versus being in the U.S.? Not in the high school context, I think, uh, because it was an American high school run by the our U.S. Department of Defense, which is very common. That's still the case. When we, um, when we station members of our military all over the globe, we want to be sure we're educating young people uh, so that they can come back and pursue higher education or whatever it may be when they return to um, the United States. So it was very similar in that regard. What was different was that we were nestled in a country, the country of Japan. So uh, when we weren't in school or we weren't at home, our homes were all nearby as well. Uh, we were out experiencing a very different culture at a time when Japan was recovering from World War II. And that is ancient history. <laughs> <laughs> How did you begin your journey in politics? You know, I think my first experience, again, was listening to um, John F. Kennedy accept the Democratic nomination for president. I was on a ship uh, crossing the Pacific Ocean with my family. My father had been stationed in Tokyo, and I was up late with my grandmother listening to uh, just, we were playing cards, and they, the loudspeaker was on, and John F. Kennedy giving his acceptance speech. His voice came over the loudspeaker, and I've never forgotten it. And throughout my high school years, I closely followed his presidency. I was really captivated by it, as were so many young people. But then uh, my first real experience with politics um, in this country was as a high school senior, uh, and I made, I mean, as a college senior, I made my way up to New Hampshire where the uh, Democratic primary for president was underway, and this is in 1968, and I volunteered for United States Senator Eugene McCarthy, who was running against then-President Lyndon Johnson. Uh, Senator McCarthy was a Democrat running against the Democratic president of his party and uh, on the issue of the war in Vietnam. And it takes a lot of courage to run against the president of your party. And he was driven by the need to really change our course of action in Vietnam. And I learned something very valuable uh, with, that pre with his candidacy. I was fortunate to travel all over with him. Uh, wherever he went, I went with another group of, with a group of volunteers. I began, to, I saw early on the value of having a core principle uh, that you hew to when you're in elective office so that you don't get buffeted by whatever the prevailing winds are around a particular issue, that you have to have something internal that allows you uh, to be an advocate for something that may not be very popular. Through all these different projects, there's definitely been some obstacles. What's an obstacle you faced and how did you overcome that? I think the biggest obstacle that I faced when I first decided to run for office myself, and I was, you know, I was in my 60s when that happened, uh, was I understood that there are obstacles for women to get elected to office. While I may not have experienced them in high school, uh, I definitely knew there were obstacles 
uh, and, why, and, and that was why there were so few women uh, serving in Washington. Now, part of it is we don't run for office, or we haven't historically. So as I often say, women can't win if women don't run. We have to run. But once we make that decision, we have to understand that there are often very subtle obstacles that we may not be aware of. So I sought out all the research that had been done <clears throat> around this, and I decided to pay attention to it. It wasn't, it wasn't rocket science, a lot of it. It wasn't rocket science. There were just sort of things that people responded to that we needed to be aware of and fix without worry. But then I also knew uh, that you also have to earn a voter's trust, and they have to believe in you and believe in uh, share your beliefs and share your vision for the future, and that, that that's a, job, a hard job for anybody who's seeking office. And there's, it's not automatic. It takes a lot of time, a lot of work, uh, people have to believe you, have to know you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And so while it was easy to fix some obstacles, the other part is much, much harder. But every candidate faces that. And um, so I knew that to be the case. But I also knew that this is a great job, like no other. You can make a difference in so many different ways. And so it was well worth the effort. What kept you driven to continue to pursue various leadership roles? Well, again... Just by virtue of being elected to office and to being in Washington, you have enormous opportunity uh, just by virtue of being there. And you can make such a difference. And one of the ways I saw it early on was I was on the House Armed Services Committee. That's a committee that oversees our military and makes sure we're adequately protecting our men and women who are in harm's way. And uh, as a I was in a hearing around, talking about body armor. Body armor is armor that we've developed to protect people from um, being killed. And I'd had an interest in this. It's very protective. It's very heavy. It often causes injury just by virtue of wearing it. But we were doing this hearing, and by chance, because I was the woman in the room, I think maybe the only one, I said, um, have you ever developed body armor for women? In the, because 14% of our military is women, and women are in harm's way, and uh, who are serving are in harm's way. And they said, well, no, ma'am, we haven't. And so that year and that year's bill, we, I put a one line tasking the services to develop body armor for women, and one year later, I was trying it on. So it's an enormous opportunity that you, that you have once you're there that should not be squandered. And so just by virtue of being elected, I could make that difference. And that's why it's so important that uh, women seek these offices, because you have opportunities you can have in no other way to make a difference. That's an amazing contribution to women. What legislation that you sponsored has, do you think has had the biggest impact on society? I would say, again, uh, on the House Armed Services Committee, I learned early on that, of the challenge of sexual assault in the military. Uh, too many of those seeking to serve our country are assaulted by their own. That's uh, both male on female, also male on male. And uh, early on, I took an interest in it when I met with a nurse, a military nurse, who told me when I asked her if this was in is as significant an issue as, as I had heard, she said, ma'am, I'm more afraid of my own soldiers than I am of the enemy. And so from there on, I, working with a congressman from Ohio, uh, Congressman Mike Turner, we really worked hard at addressing the many shortcomings that the military 
uh, had fixing a lot of the things the military had, had not dealt with, uh, which had led to this. Now, there's still work to be done, obviously, but uh, we were able to, to do a lot to sort of both change the culture and change the way in which these crimes are addressed. And I think it's helped to support the Me Too movement. You know, as we've forced the military to talk about this, it's become easier or it's reminded other elements of society that we, it's something we can't um, sweep under the rug. That's amazing. Thank you. Are there any specific mentors that have helped you in your career? Well, people often ask me that, who was your mentor? And I say, well, I, I didn't, can't say I had a mentor, but I lived with the best role model you could ever have. And that was my husband, Paul Songus. So through him, I learned and saw over and over again um, a very principled way to serve. And I think uh, I absorbed that. I absorbed that. And as I've served, um, he's always been with me. Uh, as I've thought about how best to do to do this remarkable job, what guided your decision to open the all the open the first all female law firm in Lowell? Well, there weren't any, <laughs> so I figured um, as I graduated from law, I was uh, I started law school many many years ago when very few women were going to law school or even admitted to law school. Uh, but Boston University was really in the forefront of that, and when I first sought applied to Boston University's law school, one quarter of their class was female. I went for about a year and then for, for a whole host of reasons postponed it. And when I went back, 50% of Boston University was female and every other law school in the country was almost 50% female, if not over. So much had changed in the space of about 15 years. Um, and so I went to law school. I had three children and so I was trying to navigate taking care of my family. Uh, and and doing as best I could at law school, which is not a, it's a cha it's challenging academically. But once I was done, I really wanted to have my own law practice, and I thought, what better than to have um, be in partnership with another woman? So there were two of us, and so it was just something I felt uh, it was time for. That's lovely. Well, we also have some lightning round questions, kind of short answer questions. Um, is there a um a tool that you found most helpful in your career in leadership and public service? Understanding that there are obstacles and rather than complaining about them, um, outsmarting them and resorting and looking to the research that had been done to help me outsmart them. Oh, that's great. And how about a favorite uh, quote or phrase? Uh, I, I just believe in taking one day at a time and taking it one day at a time optimistically. That can be hard to do sometimes. <laughs> That's a wonderful, uh, wonderful outlook. Um, and what about a favorite book? I don't have a favorite book. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big reader. Uh, sometimes I read, you know, books that aren't the most um, noteworthy pieces of literature, just for entertainment. I'm a big fan of mystery books. I've probably read. I'm always looking for new authors because I've read all the all the books that a particular author has written. Um, but then now, but then I go back to better literature, and so. Um, there's no particular uh, no particular writer. They're just, I enjoy reading, and I think it's invaluable. I would agree 100%. Um, so now we get to turn the tables a little bit, and I would ask you to ask uh, Yvonne a question that she might find if she uh, goes for a career in public service, maybe what you might ask one of your staff people, what she might find on a campaign trail. John, maybe a question? Uh, what I find always, Yvonne, is if you're going to seek out anything, whatever it may be, 
the person who is interviewing you wants to know why. Um, why it is you want to do what you want to do. And I think it's always important to be well prepared to answer that question. So if there's something you think you would really love to do and you see a job interview or a job opening and you want to go in for it, uh, or if you decide to go on to college and you apply, you have to know what, uh, that would be the first place you might have to think about it, you, to have a clear answer as to what it is you hope to do and why. So if you were to you enjoy being involved in your community, why is that the case? I enjoy being involved in the community because I'm impacting those around me. And I guess that means a lot to me because it means I'm being there for someone who might not have a person who's there for them. I get to be an outlet for another person. Someone can come to me with their problems. And just being there and with the ability to help them and change what may be their cause of hopelessness or sadness means a lot to me. It's a great answer for a young person. Very good. Thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it, Congresswoman Songus. And uh, thank you. It's been great to be here. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And a wonderful interview. So Yvonne, having heard from Congressman Songus, how did that change your views on leadership and service? It definitely made me look at the outcome and what she does more. Like there's a lot of decision making and thought that goes into legislations and bills and it affects a lot of people and like it affects whole districts, not just a singular person who might have like made a complaint or something. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. What answer surprised you the most? that one of her biggest mentors was her husband, because usually I think of a mentor of someone who is like a friend, a colleague, someone you look up to, not someone that's like, you're equal to be exact. That's, uh, that's interesting. I, I'll tell you that my wife's one of my, one of my role models, because she's uh, somebody who does a lot of things really well and, um, I think that part of what you want to do when you find a partner, right, is to find somebody that you admire. Yeah. So, um, and what about something you learned that you can take action on, whether it's today or something you can take action on as a leader in the future? Is listening to people and being more open-minded because everyone has an opinion on what's going on today in the world around them. Excellent. Any final thoughts? Uh, no. <laughs> so thank you so much, Yvonne, for being our co-host today. Really enjoyed uh, our conversation with Congresswoman Songus. Thanks for having me. Club love until next time. Hope everybody has a great future. Great Futures Podcast is brought to you by the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Lowell. Special thanks to this week's guest, Nikki Songus, and co-host Yvonne Walsh.